persistent pain for more than three months and the doctors don't have any solutions for you? Are they saying, it's all in your head? Or, you have to learn to live with it? And that message just doesn't feel right to you? Well, then you're in the right place. My name is Anna Frixelius and I'm an expert in health mastery. As a teenager, I got scleroderma and rheumatoid arthritis. Both of these are autoimmune conditions, chronic, incurable, with a pretty grim prognosis. But that was just the beginning. Afterwards, I survived two serious traffic accidents that was in my early 20s. Surviving was great, but I got a complex spinal fracture, part of my spine was crushed, and I got a whiplash neck injury. So at that point, I had a triple whammy of debilitating conditions in a really short period of time. Fun fact, of those three things, the autoimmunity, the crushed spine and the whiplash injury, the whiplash injury was what disabled me the most. Still, none of the doctors believed it was real. With these four diagnoses, at age 25, I was crippled by chronic pain and I was completely given up by the doctors. They thought I was a hopeless case. They put me on disability and just gave me lots of painkillers, told me to stay at home and, you know, give up all my dreams. But instead of listening to them, I found out how to rebuild my health, working from the inside out. Nobody believed it was possible. But a few years later, I got out of the wheelchair and I completed a pilgrimage walking to Santiago de Compostela. That's a 500-mile hike across the mountains and plains of northern Spain. Today, I have a healthy and happy, active life. I work full-time, helping other people recover from chronic pain, while also advocating for better treatment and patient rights. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing insights and useful strategies for anyone dealing with persistent pain and chronic health issues. I'm going to talk about the failing medical paradigm and what we need to do to change it. But most of all, I want to share solutions. What can you do to have a healthy, happy and active life, no matter what diagnoses you have and what your current health state is? So let's dig in. Hello and welcome to Health Mastery with Anna. This week we are going to be talking about some big societal problems and try to put health into context. Because chronic illness and chronic pain is costing way more than the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that we can see on our nation's budgets, it's costing so much more in the form of quality of life, loss of quality of life. So there's a way to measure this for health economics. The quality measurement index is a measurement of loss of quality adjusted life years. And that takes into account how much quality of life a person loses by being sick. So in that respect, um, a person who dies a year before their time, I think they take the standard measurement is the average lifespan of, what, 60-something point years. And this is usually measured in something called qualies, quality-adjusted life years, which sort of makes it possible to, to put a number on how much certain disease can reduce a person's quality of life and their quality-adjusted life years. It's a a kind of weird measurement unit, really, because it's, it's of course, set to an average lifespan and an ideal setting of 100% health. 
But still, it's very useful to think about health this way also in order to be able to understand the invisible burden of chronic illness, which is all the people who are able to do less than normal because of their chronic condition. They're able to participate less in the work life, of course, that shows up on all kinds of budgets and costs society a lot, but then also in their local communities that they're not able to participate as much with their families, with their friends, in volunteering, in any kind of uh, sports or crafts or hobbies. These people who suffer chronic conditions that limit their quality of life and make them more isolated, as in that they have to use all their their strength and their health and their energy just to exist and to maintain a base level of functioning, they are disappearing from our communities and they are not participating in their democracies. They're not participating in society in the way that a healthy person could. And this is sort of an invisible number. Like we don't know how much we are losing out because of people with chronic conditions not being able to participate in society. And I don't know, maybe it's some kind of ableist narrative too that society doesn't want disabled people to participate so much. I don't know. I, of course, believe that society as a whole would only benefit from people with chronic illness and people with disabilities being accommodated to participate more in society, in societal discourse, in democratic institutions, in volunteering, in their local communities, you know, on the school boards and sports clubs and uh, book clubs, and just being good neighbors, you know, being members of their family, being like a healthy aunt maybe would be able to babysit for her siblings' children while a woman who has uh, a severe chronic condition like fibromyalgia or rheumatoid arthritis uh, may not be able to do anything to babysit any of her siblings' children or to help out in that way because of her own health problems. And that, I mean, it's a loss of quality of life, but it's also a loss of value to her family, to the local community, and to society at whole. And this cost is invisible. So I think it's really important to remember this as individuals, you know, what are you missing out of when you are homesick? Not homesick, but when you are home and sick, what things are you not doing? What things do you think you would be doing if your chronic illness wasn't costing you so much energy, wasn't costing so much of your time? Do you think you would be working more, earning money? Would you be participating in your local community or in some organization, volunteer work more? Would you be doing more for your family or for your neighbors or for some kind of cause you believe in? Maybe you want to fight for environmental justice or for peace or for animal rights, any kind of cause you believe in. That cause is losing out on your strength and your abilities and your voice due to the fact that your health problems are keeping you cooped up, basically, at home, 
caught in the spiral of pain and illness where you don't really have time and energy to do much more than take care of yourself and try to manage your own symptoms. And this is the kind of discussion I think we should be having more on a societal scale. Not how much are chronically ill people costing society in the form of treatment or, or disability benefits or not paying taxes, but how much is it costing society that people with chronic illness are not able to participate at all in society? How many quality-adjusted life years, how many, how many hours of societal participation are we losing out on because there are millions of people living with chronic conditions that are not getting help in the medical paradigm the way it is now, in the medical system the way it is now, and these people are being left to struggle with their symptoms on their own, with only a minimum of help or support from the healthcare system. These are questions I think we really should be asking. We have a tendency in the Western world specifically, and I'm afraid that this has probably spread through a sort of colonial Western culture spreading, to we want to think that all of these big, big problems should be fixed individually. So we are constantly trying to portray huge structural societal problems as having individual personal solutions. So on that scale, like the global warming is your fault if you're driving a car or if you're flying airplanes or if you're not recycling everything. So we take the huge societal problem of global warming and climate change and pollution, which has been built by the whole structure of, of modern capitalistic production being created the way it is and the global economy being built on constant growth. And we place the responsibility for fixing that on individuals. And this is obviously so wrong. We can't change huge global structural societal problems one person at a time. That's just not the way things can be fixed. They have to be fixed structurally at a democratic higher level. So we're doing the same thing with health. And this is one of the things that really triggers me when it comes to the wellness industry. So the holistic wellness industry, I'm probably going to be ranting about this quite a lot because, well, basically, I've been dragged through the rabbit hole of the holistic health industry like many other people have with chronic illness. It seems so hopeful and empowering in the beginning when it's all like love and light and, you know, you can change your health by doing these yogic whatever and take these supplements and you shouldn't be taking pharmaceutical drugs. It seems quite harmless when you enter into the world of sort of uh, spiritual healing, holistic healing, wellness industry, where it's all about like detoxing and uh, taking responsibility for, for your diet being clean, like cleaning your body to, to, to help your body heal and all of this. While actually these are structural problems, like the modern lifestyle that we have built our societies around where people work 40 hours a week, often in very stressful jobs requiring very little physical movement, like static, either standing or sitting, 
jobs that are not necessarily very close to what a human body is built to do, especially not office jobs like sitting in front of a computer for 10 hours a day. And then we eat food that is so processed and uh, <laughs> and that we get by on what caffeine and drugs and everything. Like it's obvious our society is unhealthy. And that's a structural problem. That's a systemic problem. This is not something that each individual should have to fix on their own by going on juice fast cleanses or detoxes. This is something we have to figure out on a larger scale. And it has to do with regulation, of course, of, of the pharmaceutical industry, regulation of work life, regulation of what's allowed to put in food, basically. And whenever you start uh, talking about regulation, it opens a whole other can of worms. And the capitalist system that we have today is not at all <laughs> in favor of any kind of regulation. We hope that capitalism will sort of regulate itself. But I mean, look at it. How is that working out? Capitalistic healthcare, where you sort of you sell units of healthcare instead of preventing disease. So basically, it, it's sort of good financial sense to get people sick, but like moderately sick and keep them moderately sick for a long time. So they have to take uh, whatever pharmaceutical drugs for the rest of their lives. Like that is good capitalistic health, not preventing illness, like preventing illness by helping people stay healthy. That should be possibly like a society's best intent or their should definitely be in their best interest. Like whether that be government or your actual like the rest of the people in your country should be interested in helping everyone in a country live long, healthy, and productive lives, especially in um, the countries where we today see like a, a real fast aging of the population, where there are basically not enough young people to take care of the elderly, because too few babies are being born. And that's also a structural problem, because it's too expensive and too difficult to have children in a world where everybody has to work 40 hours a week. I mean, the whole 40-hour work week was created, at least like made to be the norm in the post-war era when only one of the parents or one of the people in a family had a job like that and they could work outside the home and earn money for the whole family. Now, everybody works, like all adults work in most countries. It's normal that both parties in a relationship with children have careers. And so instead of one person working 40 hours a week, now two people are working 40 hours a week. And we're not taking into consideration that we have doubled the workload on every family unit. And still, like, the children need to be taken care of. And uh, yeah, a family needs food, <laughs> cooking, cleaning, all of those things that you can't necessarily just pay somebody to do. It just doesn't seem sustainable in some way. And in some ways, like the holistic health industry and the wellness industry is sort of creating this illusion that you can take your health in your own hands if you just, you know, 
take charge, think positive, clean up your diet, clean up your lifestyle, clean up your thoughts, work on your energy, get up an hour earlier and meditate and do yoga and exercise. And again, we're back to making the very large structural problem of chronic illness and chronic health problems on a a societal scale. We're making that an individual project where you as an individual have to fix this. And I don't think it should be like that. And I understand why people also feel in some way exhausted by the demands of living in this kind of society where you have to take responsibility for fixing your health in an unhealthy environment. You have to earn the money, so you have to have the job or do whatever necessary to get the income to sustain your safety, like basically your basic human needs have to be met and the basic human needs of your family. And then in addition, you have to in some way counteract this unhealthy environment of uh, stress and low quality food. Often like we sleep too little, (laughs) we, we stress too much, we move too little, and we eat very, very, uh, strange food stuffs compared to what our human digestive system has actually been created or been adapted to over hundreds and thousands of years or what five millions of years the last hundred years has seen such a huge change in what human beings eat that of course our natural digestive systems haven't been able to follow along on that development and maybe that has something to do with the, the rise in autoimmune illness. We don't really know. And there is very little serious research going on into preventing these illnesses from actually flowering. From, from I mean, you can have the genetic predisposition, but would it be possible to find out if somebody has the genetic predisposition of autoimmune illness like multiple sclerosis or Graves' disease, Hashimoto's, rheumatoid arthritis, systemic lupus, any of these illnesses that are are costing so many people so much quality of life, would it be possible to prevent them from actually starting in the first place if we knew what environmental factors were triggering them? I read a very interesting study that was at least 20 years ago, by someone who compared uh, twin studies, like looked at the incidence of autoimmune illness in sets of twins that had immigrated to the US from other countries where they had a more natural diet. So they saw that in the first generation of immigrants, there was very little incidence of autoimmune illness when people were still eating a diet that was maybe closer to cleaner food products. But in the next generation, like the second generation, where people would usually start eating like the the people of their new home country, there was a much higher incidence, like the, the incidence of autoimmune illness was more or less the same as the rest of the population. And uh, they tried to see, like in twin studies, whether they could see why one twin got some kind of autoimmune condition and the other didn't. 
And it was just theoreticized that there was some kind of environmental factor and it could be diet. And research into having a healthy diet just doesn't seem to gain traction anywhere. I mean, it's so logical that what you put in your body affects how your body functions and affects your health. But in what way? It's almost impossible to say. There are so many theories out there. So again, each person is more or less left to their own devices to try to figure this out on their own. Like, should you try an elimination diet? Is it gluten? Is it dairy? Is it sugar? Is it any, like, should you go keto, low FODMAP, all of these, like, you should try paleo, vegan, paleolithic something diet. There are so many fads and cures and remedies and intermittent fasting and gut health and microbiota. And I'm sure some of them, many of them are great, but I wish it would be possible to actually research and find out, to do some large studies to find out. But the medical scientists or researchers are saying it's not possible. Like, no, we can't research diet on that scale. And there's really not that much money in it. It's impossible to get like proper funding for good uh, research into dietary causes of chronic illness. So then again, we're left to where we are today, where people develop chronic illnesses and they are discovered at a quite sort of late stage when they're already sort of really uh, come quite far in limiting a person's quality of life because the symptoms have to get quite severe before you can discover them and put a diagnosis and start treatment. And then basically the person has to be on pharmaceutical treatment for the rest of their lives. So this is a problem in the way our health industry, our medical industry is working today. And I don't think that the holistic wellness industry or spiritual health philosophies have that much more to offer, really. Like, they both seem to be going <laughs> uh, in opposite directions and not necessarily in a good way. And you, as a patient, are left, again, in the middle, trying to uh, navigate life with whatever symptoms or health problems you have and basically guessing at what works and what doesn't work. And the only way you can really navigate this is by getting good at listening to your body. That's what it's taken for me, and that's what I've learned from so many other people. It's like, okay, if you can't trust the doctors to know what's right for you, if they only follow their pharmaceutical treatments, and great if that works for you, but if it doesn't, you're basically screwed. So then you have to start to test out all these lifestyle interventions and there can be some scientific guidance on what works and what doesn't work. But to a large part, there isn't like clear, hard, good factual science on what is good and what isn't good. So you're basically left guessing. And then instead of guessing, my advice would be to practice listening to your body and to test one thing at a time. Don't try 10 different things at once and don't make it too hard. Like, if you think you react to sugar or gluten, okay, try it. Try it for two weeks or try it for a month or two months and see what happens and really experiment with it. But in the meantime, if you have a chronic condition, especially an autoimmune condition or anything like this, you have to follow up the medical treatment. Like, take the drugs. Don't be 
optimistic and go out there and try to figure it out on your own. Because if you follow the medical treatment, you can always do the lifestyle changes on the side. Like, it's not dangerous to do both of those things at the same time. Some advice coming from a patient with many, many years of rheumatic autoimmune conditions and working with other people who have rheumatic autoimmune conditions. I've tried to talk about the doctors and researchers on a national level, like why there isn't much research going into prevention of chronic illness. And they say it's it's impossible to research. Like we don't have the data. We don't have the numbers. We don't have funding for that kind of research. And I guess that's a structural problem then. That is a structural problem. Then we need to figure out how to do something about that structural problem. In the meantime, you can be learning how to take care of your health as best as you possibly can. And I hope that these podcasts can be in some way inspiring for you. See you in the next episode.